guru for people looking to present investors, built a business on helping to do that. Today we have franchising guru Stephen Bianco, someone I've known for a long time since actually grammar school. Uh, we went to uh, Willow Lake Day Camp together. So we went to day camp. He was a, a couple grades younger than me, but over the years I've gotten to know him. He was a fantastic athlete in high school over at Del Barton in New Jersey. Went originally to the Air Force Academy and then transferred to Villanova. Played football, was a decathlon uh, champion, one of the best decathletes, uh, decathletes in the country. Uh, has built multiple businesses in various different fields, but now has really latched on to a franchise that a lot of people would know real well. Uh, college hunks hauling junk. If you've seen the trucks, all over your area. They're all over the country. Um, I know he is now based down in Florida, uh, and he's built a tremendous franchising business, uh, and he has multiple franchises. He is somebody that I've gotten to know as a innovator, a true serial entrepreneur, someone who enjoys building businesses. And uh, without any further ado, let me bring on Stephen Bianco. Stephen, how's everything going? Beyond with you, it is. Uh, I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me, and um, it's been a while since uh, since we last chatted, and uh, we have known each other since those young years tearing up the dirt over at the Willow Lake Day Camp. Um, and to tell you the truth, you know, your father was so instrumental for my love of sports, my love of people, my love of organization and working hard and hustling. Your father was one of those first images that I had in my head as the kind of guy that you want to be like. So uh, just as you were saying that, I was having flashbacks as a young kid and uh, looking up to your father. Well, it's really interesting. Um, you know, our very first Success for Life podcast, the person I actually interviewed and if you ever get a chance to go look, uh, listen to it on iTunes, I think you'll find it pretty amazing. But I interviewed my father. That was the very first uh, uh, podcast I did. Uh, I thought he would be the perfect person to start off with because he's helped so many people be successful, um, you know, obviously primarily in sports, but for giving them the, the positivity and encouragement to pursue whatever their dreams are. So I, I led off with him as my, my very first podcast. So, I, you know, I really appreciate you saying that. And it, it has been a while. I mean, I, I, I now live where I think you once did live. I live in, in, in Roseland, New Jersey now, so uh, fairly close to where, where, you, where you lived. And I remember we would go out and meet 
and and have lunch over on you know on uh, Route 10 and uh, uh, when you're in New Jersey. But obviously now as I started to do research, you're down in Florida now. So maybe maybe for obviously for people that know don't know you, and I, and I'll tell you a couple funny things before I let you kind of uh, tell everybody a little bit about your your back history. Um, I was sitting a couple of years ago. I was living in Hoboken. And I'm sitting in the in uh, the barbershop chair. I think the place was the Hoboken Man in Hoboken, New Jersey, getting my hair cut. And on the screen, I almost I, I almost got like the the woman that was cutting my hair almost you know literally cut me because on the screen I've been watching the TV and I remember if it was Bloomberg, it might have been Bloomberg, but it was one of the news or CNBC. On the screen came you, and you were talking about. Um, college hunks all in junk and what you're doing now from a franchising standpoint in business and really, you know, trying to uh, um, talk about entrepreneurship and those kind of things. But I almost fell out of my seat. So um, it has been a little while since we had last talked and, and obviously life continues to move on. So I, I thought you would be perfect as I continue to do research on what you're doing and your, your activity. And I see how active you are on Twitter, um, you know, talking and building networking um, so w- with that, can you kind of give people a background about uh, a little bit more in depth where you came from, some of the business you started, and, and, and to you are now, and then we can kind of dive into the question part of everything. Yeah, sure. You know, I came from a small farming town in uh, northwest New Jersey uh, where I grew up and had uh, small classes, you know, ranging from 30 to 40, 50, you know, kids in your class total, in your grade. Um, moved on from, you know, from the young years and um, made my way a little bit east in New Jersey and wound up at a, a wonderful school called the Del Barton School in Marstown, New Jersey, which is an all-boys school, prep school, about 500 boys. Um, at the time, the athletic programs were were growing. They were predominantly strong in hockey and lacrosse. And as uh, my class came through, uh, a lot of the other sports started to catch on: basketball, baseball, football, wrestling. And now it's um, it's really a powerhouse type, um, you know, prep school that does you know wonderfully and is and is ranked in, in, throughout the country in multiple sports. So, went to Del Barton, learned a lot there about myself. Um, about people and the directions that I wanted to go in life and uh, made my way off to the United States Air Force Academy uh, where, you know, true leadership just smacked me in the face. Um, Leadership, innovation, opportunity, brilliant people, and spent a little time there before transferring over to Villanova University um, where I continued my academics and um, played a little football, did a little track and um, really started to love the training side of athletics. And it was something that I had done since I was a young boy. I had been involved in training. And even I remember back in eighth grade years, I was coaching my eighth grade track and field team and training them to be bigger, faster, stronger. At that time, that was the general mindset. When I finished my track career, I still had that love for training, and, and I loved working with my fellow track and field athletes at Villanova, loved trying to help them on their nutrition, on their training, and um, to dial back a little bit is actually where I started my first business was at Villanova University, and I started a health food store 
This is way, way back, David, before, as you would know, this is really unfortunate. This is before the Internet was out, really. Uh, this was before health food stores were on every corner. And, you know, taking supplementation was this voodoo-type situation where metrics was the only um, supplement out there, and it was sort of unknown. And I, I had a resource, and uh, I brought it into a – I made it into a store out of my dorm and started – posting um, sale posters throughout the university. And people would come to my dorm and they'd, I'd bag it up and they'd buy their supplementation and then I'd try to order different things. Um, this is way before mail order, obviously. So that was my first thirst of an entrepreneurial experience and I realized how it can work. And then I really kept going on my athletic side and had to earn some money, so I became a, a state trooper in the state of New Jersey, and uh, another amazing learning experience that you know has had, had developed me at a young age of 22 to about 25, 26 years old. During that time, I was a state trooper. I came across my second entrepreneurial endeavor, and going back to the Air Force Academy, they had one of the most beautiful athletic facilities you government could possibly buy. Just incredible. And it was my first vision of seeing a weight room. And you remember the weight rooms when we were young growing up. They were just sort of garage-style weight rooms everywhere you went. And even the schools had these dingy weight rooms. Well, I went to the Air Force Academy, and here's this monstrosity of about 60,000 square feet of a weight room with platforms. I think they had 20 or 25, 30 platforms just all rode up. And down the middle was just this astroturf field. And I discovered that, wow, you mean I can actually do what I had envisioned of training weights, performance-based you know, a, a lifting training, and then be able to jump on the astroturf and throw the medicine balls and run and jump and do all those amazing things. I said, this is brilliant. So when I graduated and I became a trooper, I continued the love for helping and training athletes. So just like you started your business and a lot of people started their businesses, I began an athletic training business from scratch. And I just walked out onto the track while I was working out myself. And I saw mom or dad and their son or daughter running around the track. And I would tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, if you move your arms like this and move your knees like this, it can make you a little bit faster. And then we just start talking some more. And as time went on, it started picking up and people would start asking me questions at the track. And I then had that glimpse of the Air Force Academy. Now, you have to picture this. Back during this time, this is about 1999, 2000, there were no athletic training centers on every corner like there are now. There was it, the question of, you know, where do you train never came up. That wasn't even a question in anybody's mind, where do you train? Train what? So there are no athletic training centers really at this point. So I just had this vision of um, the United States Air Force Academy weight room. And I said, what if I take this and I shrink it down about 100 times and I can start training these athletes in the same type of setting? So I took the images of the United States Air Force Academy's weight room and I shrunk it down to a 5,000-square-foot facility, and I literally had the same exact setup as they did, just smaller. And that was my second introduction to an entrepreneurial endeavor, which was athletic training for youth people in a closed environment. 
um, and had the great opportunity to come across hundreds and hundreds of, of athletes in high school, college, and the professional ranks. Well, there's no doubt about it. I remember, I remember that, that business as well. It's funny because uh, I remember when you had reached out to me when you had seen a pamphlet from when I used to run speed camps back in the day. And um, mm-hmm. I think your company back then was called, I, was it IAP? Was that a... It was called IAP, yes, and and you know, yeah. and you were on the forefront, um, you and um, you know at the time, you know, Parisi's, which is obviously people out there you know, uh, is the chain and in, in the franchise now, um, but we were all as one. We were all in New Jersey, and it was uh, you know you were doing camps, um, Chuck Mound was doing speed camps, Parisi was doing speed camps. And Parisi had the facility. You and Mal were doing this camps, you know, over at you know large venues, and um, it was the beginning ground for what we see today. Um, and yeah, the first place was called IAP Institute of Athletic Performance. So, how, how did first of all, where did the entrepreneurship bug come from? So, I, you know, I kind of want to dive into that, you know, and obviously we'll we'll get to where you are today because you, you're. Your business and personal career and even political career is is so interesting to me. But, but where did the the entrepreneurship uh, bug come from? You know, my father is an immigrant from Germany, um, self-educated, and he had that that um, that immigrant um, entrepreneurial mindset. And although he started out as a as just a registered not just but a registered pharmacist, and became began working for people, he knew that he, he he just didn't want anybody else to control his darn destiny. So and he wanted to figure out how he was always going to provide for his family. And so you know, seeing that growing up, and he had opened multiple um, for, uh, pharmacies throughout my youth. And I saw the work ethic that went into it. I saw the creativity. It, it was fun. It was enjoyable. And that was my, you know, that was my home life. So I saw it. I saw it constantly. Um, I didn't see the glitz and glamour that you may, that some people may see. I saw the hard work. I saw the ability to be on his own, the, the ability to, to, to be creative. And that inspired me. Um, and then once I saw him doing it, I, I always latched on and tried to see. I was always fascinated with the local contractor. I was always fascinated with the local landscaping guy that built his company up. And how did he do that? And, oh, he's got, he has better marketing than he does. And this guy's marketing sucks. And uh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Or this guy does know what he's – I was always fascinated with that. Um, I was always fascinated when I went into a local store that was a mom-and-pop shop. And you could determine the difference between a, you know, a, a strong one – you know, a great local one that really cared about the, you know, the community. And then I was able to pick out the ones that, you know what, this one's going to expand. This one has, this one has some, you know, some girth beneath it that, that, that can really go someplace and be duplicatable. Um, so it began with my father, and that was the bug. Uh, and then I sort of, you know, it was just interesting to me. Take, take me where the... You know, I always think entrepreneurs, and, and this is just my, my firm belief in entrepreneurship, is that um, once you kind of, as an entrepreneur, invest in 
mentally invest in what you want to do and what you want to be, um, you know, your success gets generated from it. Obviously, you know, you have to want to be able to make money. You have to want to be able to be on your own. You want to be able to create something, but you have to have a passion for it. And, and you know, if you feel that uh, you're, you're doing good in the process, that's always obviously an advantage as well. How did you take, you know, kind of run me through where you went from IAP all the way up to college hunks hole and junk and, and going from owning your own kind of, um, your own business, I think, you know, uh, I, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you sold IAP to Parisi, and then um, I don't know if that's where the franchising kind of, of bug started, but um, now to where you own multiple franchises uh, of college hunks hole and junk, and uh, explain to me how you kind of got to that point. Yeah, sure. Um, you, you know, that that was correct. That was the on the on the timeline of, of IAP selling to Parisi and and then you know seeing that for the first time duplicated. Uh, that's that put the more in my face bug into my head to have me start thinking about it. Um, I, I never I, I always knew what franchising was on the basic levels. But it never had been right in my face, so this was the first experience, and I, I started looking into it a little bit more. It didn't come right away. It wasn't something I jumped on board. There was a couple middle paths in between uh, to gain some more experience in a couple different areas. But I just started investigating what that franchising role was. And to be honest with you, it, like all entrepreneurs and any any entrepreneur that's listening or aspiring entrepreneur that's listening, you know, entrepreneurship is about going through ups and downs, highs and lows, valleys and peaks, any other type of metaphor you can think of. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. It is great. But it could be darn right awful at times. And you have to have that mindset as that when it's downright awful, this is when I become better. This is where I am, you know, if you want to say, hey, I'm better than the next guy. Well, this is where I'm better than the next guy. It's like that athlete, you know. It's like that that great athlete, you know. What makes that superstar, you know, versus the great athlete or the good athlete? Well, the superstar steps up when you're on the five yard line and says, "There's no way I'm losing this game." Period. Or who has the ability to step up, you know, from the three point line and say, "I want the ball with two seconds left. I don't want anybody else to touch this ball because this is where I rise to the top." And it's not just this is where I rise to the top and because I want to be that person or I want to be that star. No, I'm the type of person where when that buzzer is going off, I'm going to put the ball in the basket. I'm going to cross the end zone. That's a different personality. And it doesn't mean the other athletes aren't wonderful. It just means that type of athlete is a game winner. And there's a certain mentality to that. And when you're an entrepreneur, you have to have a glimpse. And I wasn't that game winner in sports. That wasn't my mentality. I wasn't give me the ball at the end of the game. I was more, hey, I'll carry you the whole team, the whole game. And then maybe, you know, let someone else take it at the end to punch it in. And that was just my personality. But in the, in, as an entrepreneur, when that going gets tough, there's that second level of personality that just comes out and says, okay, great. Everyone else looks, looks at this as a challenge. I look at it as an opportunity. So how am I going to spin this? 
So when you are an entrepreneur, when you're to talk to the aspiring entrepreneurs out there, to realize that there are so many highs and lows and, and, and curveballs that are thrown at you, and exactly what do you do when it hits you? So when I was in those middle years, I was you know I, I was gaining some more information, and and I, I was tired. And this is where I come back to of, of, of the truth about entrepreneur. I was tired, and you know I had to reevaluate what I wanted to do. And I was at a point in life where I just said to myself, you know, I, I'm going to create something, but right now in life I would like to take something that has a model. And I would like to take that model and insert my personality, my work ethic, my drive into that model and be able to find the right area, pick the right employees, believe in that model, and grow it. And it was that point in time in my life. I was, I, was, I was a little bit tired of just being totally on my own and having to create everything on my own from scratch. And so I transferred into that market and started learning about you know, how wonderful franchising is for a lot of entrepreneurs. And the other side of it is I wanted to learn. You know, part about entrepreneurism is, is, is just learning. It's like being a great football coach. You know, great football, the great ones are entrepreneurs as well. You don't think Nick Saban is, is not an entrepreneur? The guy's an entrepreneur beyond entrepreneurs. You know, he's creative. He is vision. He's a leader. He sees the best in people. He sees different opportunities. He knows how to, you know, when the back's up against the wall, he knows how to go a different direction. It's all that same personality. So, you know, when, when I got into that franchising world, I wanted to see, you know, where else could I possibly take this franchise? How can I help the whole entire franchise grow? Um, and I really, I really found a love into it and that learning experience. And I want to learn about all different aspects of business. I don't want to be a one trick pony where I can only have a conversation type of business. I don't want to be able to, I want to be able to talk about, you know, all different types of businesses so that when I'm addressing staff members, when I'm at meetings, when I'm negotiating, that knowledge base is so powerful. So I took this time now to, you know, to spend the last seven years digging into the franchising world and learning what it's all about. Franchising is a different type of model, and you're, you're inserting yourself. Um, you're an entrepreneur, but you're also within a, a, a ideally a proven system. Tell me what led you to choose college uh, Hunks Holding Junk, and what were the things that you you learned business wise from that franchising system that then you can become successful with or leverage? Yeah, you, you know, Dave, you're right on point when it comes to uh, the fact that franchising is different. It is. It is very different. Um, you know, it, it has a combination of being able to lead and be led, or to follow, I should say. You have to lead, and then you have to follow at the same time. Because you are on your own. You are an independent business. And if, you ever, if, if anybody listening, you know, sees that on an advertisement, um, when you see an advertisement on a, on, on a particular company that you're, that you're looking at to use their services – and it'll say in that little fine print, um, independent business. And that's franchising. 
you know, franchising is an independent business. And, and so you look at the model, you follow the model of, um, you follow the model of what that business is, and you have to follow that. You know, you have to have that discipline. You can't just do whatever you want. But then when you are in your own space, you are your own entrepreneur when it comes to some of the decisions you make, especially around your staff. And that's, uh, that's one of the sides of entrepreneurism that, you know, some people miss the beat or miss the boat on. And that being an entrepreneur is not just about the idea or being able to formulate an idea. Being an entrepreneur is about people. And, I mean, Dave, you have shown that, you know, the best out of, out of, out of anybody when it comes to the businesses that you have had. You have formulated a personality and the ability to work with people of diverse backgrounds from all over the country and the world Working with people is, I think, the most important aspect of being an entrepreneur. A lot of people can have ideas, but can you take those ideas and get other people to work with you to push those ideas out through a product or a service? And that's what franchising does. You know, that's what franchising is. It's, it's the ability, and I wanted to experience that. I wanted to prove to myself that, you know what, I can work with people. I can follow a model like I did at the Air Force Academy, and as a state trooper, I followed a model. I followed a protocol, and I also went out on my own and did whatever the heck I wanted. So I wanted to see, can I combine both of these together and do what I feel is best but also follow a model and a protocol that's been developed by somebody else that you truly believe in. I think it's really interesting when you talk about with, with people and you mentioned, you know, you're, you're being able to find the, the, the right staff, which you've done a good job with. And I, I feel as a business person, I've had an entrepreneur, I've had successes and failures in those avenues. Um, what, what have you found is a successful model for you in hiring staff and bringing in people to be successful, uh, and then how do you deal with guys that, or guys that got, or gals that aren't doing uh, what you expect uh, of them? Uh, so, what's your process on that, and you know, philosophy? Well, first of all, this is this is a short piece that people can remember. Um, you know, I give a little golden nugget that, you know, one of your listeners or a few of your listeners can grab onto and just hold and always stick by this. Hire slow, fire fast. And as you get better and better at it, you're, e- you're able to take your time and then you're able to execute quickly. And it's one of the most difficult things to learn how to do. Because evaluating people is an art form. And if you learn in the beginning to take your time when you are hiring something, somebody and not to rush into it and to really look into all the aspects that you're looking for, and then once you determine that somebody is not what you want for that company, you need to eliminate that from the company. Because our, company are, our companies are living, breathing organisms. 
they react to what is happening. So if someone in your staff is not of the caliber or doing the work that's needed, like people always say, it's not personal because it's not. It's about the other living, breathing organism. And if, you, and if, that, if that cancer, if that sickness spreads, that little bit of a germ affects how the output of that company is. And then it affects everybody else down the line. Hire slow, fire fast. Second area, which you know, may not be remembered as much, but if, to, to listen to this aspect, when you are looking for staff members, don't look at them as staff members. Find the right people. Just get the right people that fit with the culture of what your business is. Then after you find the right people, and this comes a little bit from Jim Collins and good to great, but you, then you select where, and use his quote, where they're going to sit on the bus. But you first must know exactly the type of people you want to have. And when you have those great people there, they will help you as the entrepreneur. Because when you don't know something, they most likely will. And that creates that incredible team model. And I've gone through the same ups and downs you have probably gone through, Dave, in your business experiences when it comes to hiring. And after a period of time, over the last six years, I would say, I really started to use that hire slow and hire people and then figure out where they're going to go. I've always, now I always try to do that. Where's there a good person? I'll figure out where they're going to go. I just want a good person. And we get so stuck on reviewing the black and white that the gray is the matter that the company really needs. Because the black and white part of a resume can be found, can be manipulated, can be misunderstood, can be written a, a certain way. And there's a lot of variety of that. But when you come to finding people that fit the culture and the company that you and, and the company that you want to have, that's when you cut down on the individuals who don't work out for the company. I developed a, a system that we used at College Hunks in Hiring where we never even looked at resumes or anything else. We first had them answer a series of questions that they had to write back and respond to. Now, these questions weren't based upon what they know or what they didn't know. The questions were solely based upon what kind of people they are. And it forced them to look at themselves and to write to us about the type of person they are. And at times they didn't even realize that they were writing about themselves because that's kind of easy or you can manipulate that or you could, you know, you could think, okay, what does the employer want to, want to know? We'd ask them questions on the emails of the type of people they like, what other people think of them, and who their favorite movie stars are. You can tell a lot from somebody on who their favorite movie star is. 
And when we put all those packages together, we found humans. We found people that we wanted or didn't want. Then once we found the people that we wanted and we felt they were trustworthy and we felt they fit the culture, then we would start looking at what they're capable of doing or what they want to do. And that has worked tremendously for us over the past six years. This is amazing. So you're basically essentially creating almost uh, a psychological profile of uh, the kind of people that you want to have in your company through these series of questions and then utilizing that to find where they fit uh, within your organization, uh, operation sales, whatever it is you're doing. But really the key is to figure out um, is it the kind of person that you want in the company. A quick, quick question that I have on this. Um, so you get, you get someone, they fit your profile, you, you feel like you allocate them properly, they have a certain amount of success, and, and I've dealt with this, and any business person probably has dealt with this as well, but I, I think what you solved is so interesting, I want to know how you handle this. Um, persons have success, but then they become complacent or uh, cultured in the everyday of what's going on in the company. How do you... How do you continue to push that that individual, and and how do you keep them from uh, going into some sort of complacent mode where, okay, I think I got what I'm doing, I, I'm, I have a good amount of success in this, and uh, and how, how do you keep them interested in a way that they keep pushing for the next goal? Well, you know, it's, it's a, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that. But that's not it's, – it's, it's a little more difficult than, um, than can be assumed. And, and it, it, it is a valuable aspect of being a business owner or leader. And let's just keep it 50,000 foot because, yes, this is, this is important in business, but there's no difference in this where you are a leader in – XYZ organization or you're a coach or you, or you are a military leader um, or you're a business owner. This, this what I'm going to hit quick and then I'll get granular on it, um, it is, is throughout multiple sectors of our life. If you are in a leadership position, you must look at every single person that is with you as an individual. It's not easy to do. That's hard. That's where, like, I may contradict the franchising side of things. Like, everything's duplicatable. Not a, things are duplicatable, but when you're dealing with people, everybody is different. And that's why the, the true great leaders are able to do what they're able to do, and they're around the clock all, all, all what they call all damn day, is because you have to worry about or think about everybody as an individual. Dave, you have to see uh, uh, Sue before anybody else knows that she's on her way out or she's going to lose her, 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 her gusto for the organization. You have to know that while you're hiring that person based upon their personality traits. You have to foresee that before anybody else can foresee that. That's when you take that interest, that desire, that love to really understand each and every person that's part of your organization or that's part of your family or that's part of your team. It's like having kids. Each, I have three of them. Each one of them are different. I can't have a household all based upon certain ways of doing things or 
this is my only way I'm going to, you know, you know, to create organization in the house. This is not going to work. The three personalities are totally different. One is going to backfire. The other one's going to say okay, and the other one's not going to know what the heck I'm talking about. So you have to figure out what works best for each individual. So when you are hiring that employee, you're determining, yes, do they fit in this culture? And do they want to be part of this culture? Yes, check, check, good. Okay, predict right then and there, how long is this person going to be here for? In the position they're in, in the company, in our company, what are their goals in life? And do their goals fit the longevity of the company? Do they fit for this short period of time? If so, great. If it's a win-win for both, chalk it off as a success. To know that, listen, this person is going to be a, a, on a five-year plan, this company. This person is going to be on a one-year plan. I hired somebody at College Hunts that I knew was going to be on a six-month plan. Six-month plan. And I knew at six months we were going to know whether or not this person was going to be out the door or if they were going to take on another challenge within the company. I knew they were not going to be doing the job they were actually doing at that time because I knew based upon their personality, it was going to impact the living, breathing organism of the company because of what they were capable of doing. What they were capable of doing was enormous sales, massive sales, greater sales than anybody in the industry could possibly imagine, completely brilliant at it. But the personality trait that made them brilliant at selling also just within an organization. So I knew we had a six-month period of time for this individual to get what they needed, and they had their needs and we had ours. They would come in with a lot of gusto, a lot of energy. They were all about the company. But I knew that although on the outside they were all about the company, on the inside they were, he, he, they were all about themselves. Right. And I'm totally fine with that as long as I know it's there. And so I knew at that six-month mark, mark, it was no longer going to be about the company. It was going to totally be about themselves because they had already penetrated the company. And they needed to do something else. And I knew in order to elevate themselves, they were going to start planning kind of a coup inside the organization to get other people wrapped around in their little world. And I knew that could not happen. So at that six-month mark, when that was going on and going down, nipped it in the bud immediately because I had already predicted that it was going to possibly happen. Now at that time, then I determined that, okay, there's no exit here. It's just a straight termination. And executed right. it immediately. That's really interesting what you brought up. I mean, you're blowing my mind here. It's amazing. I do so many of these, these, these podcasts, and I think what you're saying is, is, is unbelievable information that everybody can really, really take. Basically, you know, and this applies to whether you're franchising or you have your own business, processes are duplicatable, but people are not, you know. And... Um, and assessing and understanding uh, each individual's motivations are are, are critical. I mean, it, it, what you've done, what you do is, well, I mean, I, I've probably subconsciously done this. I, I love how you have put together a plan on this, and I, I think everyone who listens to this 
this podcast um, will will find that very very helpful in finding their own process of how how to put that together and maybe even seeking you out um, in, 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 on a consulting. I might, I might have put a consulting business for you together right here on, on helping people put that uh, that those processes together because you what you what you talked about with once they get to a certain point and everybody's on a different plan, there are some people that you hope can become, uh, in today's business, I won't say lifers, but long-termers. And then there are people that are near-termers. And as a business owner, understanding each role that you need and what role those people are going to fit and getting them to maximize their skill sets and their enjoyment in the process, even if they don't realize consciously that they're probably going to want to be out in a year. Well, that's really what they're saying with their body language, with how they operate, um, and if they become negative or, or, or those kind of things. And, and I've noticed that. And then I also noticed that there are people that are almost uh, just like uh, almost like children in the sense that they're crying out for someone to to mold them. And you have to know when they're crying out and to try and figure that part out before they, they get to a point where there's there's no return. So some, some people are salvageable and some people are, it's time to go. And I think that's really, really what you, what you hit on there is so critical to business success because the employees that you have for as long as they're there are, are essentially partners in the company. Um, and if they buy into what you're doing, whether it's short or long term, uh, they're, they're creating value when they don't. Um, they are completely a detractor to your success something has to be done. Each staff member is an individual person. And we have to look beyond the thoughts of them just being that staff person. And you said it right when people are not duplicatable. The business runs around the people themselves and you have to create the business around the great people that you do have we are all different and when we look at our the people who are part of our organizations or our teams you have to look deep into their personality and not just the way they act why do they act that way and that's a whole other level that might scare people you know to, to the darn moon but you have to look at that individual and say well don't just don't, don't don't just beat, your, beat them up based upon what they're doing or, 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 or how they are or what their face looks like right now or what mood they're in. Why are they in that mood? And how did they get into that mood? How did they, why do they think this way? See, that is more valuable because if you know why they think that way, then you can predict how they're going to react to a majority of situations. To know that, listen, you would think, right, David, that Google, most amazing – Google and Apple, two most amazing companies on this planet, right? I mean, you, you look at those companies and, and you say, well, if I'm going to work for anybody, man, I would work for one of those companies. You know, beautiful organizations, lots of money, great ideas, amazing, brilliant people, sure. But guess what? People leave that company in six, eight months to a, in a year. And you look up and say, why the heck would they leave that company? Because we're all different, just because we're at Google doesn't mean we're going to stay there for 15 years and sit back and, 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 and toss Skittles in our mouth because they're free. It all has to do with our personality. We're all different in that way. And different things are affecting our lives 
that cause us to make certain decisions. So if you can predict that, listen, it's, I need to know what's best for this individual because what's best for this individual will then transfer over to what's best for this organization and for this company. But I first must take care of this individual. And this individual needs to move on in life, then I need to know they're going to do it, and I need to help them get there. And when in that process, I'm going to get the very best out of them, and I'm going to maximize their time that they're with the organization. Once it gets beyond that level of maximization, then they are, like you said, David, they are detracting from the company. But most importantly, they're detracting from their own lives. They're wasting their life. And you think you're holding on to them because you think you need them or you want them. That's darn right selfish. Right. Just let them go. Let them, it's, it's like in being in a relationship. Just let the person go. Let yourself go. You're, you, you will both be better off if it's not in the right place. Don't be selfish and hold on because you have an insecurity. Same situations in your personal life that go on in business. That's why I get so angry when people say, you can't mix personal and business. Well, pers- business is personal. You're dealing yeah. with people. You have to have those personal conversations with them because you need to know. One of the biggest headaches I, 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 I come across with you know, HR situations during hiring. Can't ask this, can't ask. No, no, no. I understand the protection when it comes to you know, discriminating people if someone has a, you know, someone's married, if they have children. I totally get that. And you know what? If you're someone who discriminates, just, just get out. But you know, for the good people who don't, that's great information. I just want to know. Like, is this, this a family person? You know, that helps me position them in the right place. That helps me work with them. What kind of schedule do I need to make up for them? We have some great admin people. I need to know, what's your schedule? You know, what kind of family do you have? What's your family dynamic? Are you the worker in the family? Do you need to be home for the children? I need to know that ahead of time. I love you and I want you to be part of the organization, so let's figure out how we're going to make this a great situation for you so that you can attend to the most important things in your life, which are your children. I need to make sure that, listen, I want you on this bus. I'm going to put you in this seat right here because I know you need to leave by 2 o'clock each day because you have to pick up your children. If I block that, their family life's going to fall apart. I'll tell you one so, of the interesting things that, I, that, I've, that I've learned and realized, I think you'll identify with this, is that um, – and my father actually talked about it in the first first podcast, but I've always applied it this way. I, you know, I still coach football to this day because I, I enjoy it. But I always see the mistakes that I've found leaders, whether coaches, whether business leaders, whatever it is, they focus on, um, and, and kids, in, and when you coach them or employees, when they work with you, they think that everybody should be treated equally. And I tell people, we treat people fairly, but no one is treated equally. Everybody has a different situation, and there's a difference between treating people fairly and, and uh, treating everybody equally because everybody is different, and everybody's situation is different. And it drive, it's always driven me crazy, even as, as an, uh, a player. I, you know, every once in a while I hear a coach uh, say that, and as soon as I heard that from a coach, I knew that that guy wasn't a good coach because I'm different than him, and how to motivate me is going to be different than motivating this guy. And, and it's important to, to understand those kind of things. Um, and I think people, I mean, the society as a whole, 
I always feel like I don't want to dive too deep into this, but but I uh, I, I firmly believe as society as a whole, people miss that important distinction that everybody should be treated fairly, but there is no such thing as equal treatment in the world because every situation and every person is different. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but well, I, I think I can sum it up here, David. Not everybody deserves a trophy. That's just the way it is. And I coach little league baseball. I love it. It, it, it is the most inspirational thing I do um, in that sector right now. And I, I, I coach eight, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, and you know a variety of them. And I'm coaching fall ball right now. And here's a little in, in, input into this on two different areas. I give a game ball out now, and in this day and age, I know that's crazy. I'm singling out one individual or two individuals that performed well. You know, some people think it's nuts. I give a game ball out. And you said this correctly. It's about people be not treated equally but fairly. And if you perform today at a certain level, it doesn't have to be – it's not just the star because you hit the home run. It's No, you did the very best you could today, and you performed at an optimal level to your ability during this game, you did something very special. Here is the game ball. It doesn't mean the rest of them didn't play well or didn't do what they're supposed to do, but this individual had an exceptional day today for whatever reason it was, and you get a game ball. And the other children need to learn, the other teammates need to learn to say, nice job, great work. Next time it's going to be me. Now, when you peel it back through another area of it, when I'm coaching um, Little League Baseball, this time it's the minors, they call it. So they're allowed to steal for the first time. So you're technically allowed to you know, advance on the base. Now, here's my position on this. If that individual is not capable of knowing how to run or really understanding what the steal is, they're not allowed to steal. And I get into conversations with opposing coaches all the time, and they ask, okay, stealing rules, et cetera. I said, we're not stealing. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I said, we're not stealing because these kids are seven years old. Half of them don't even know what the heck they're doing out there on the base. Okay, they're still looking at – some kids are still looking at flowers on the ground. And that's okay. That's where they are developmentally. There's nothing wrong with them. So for every pass ball – that's basically every other pitch that's thrown. I'm sorry, I'm not sending these kids to run. Because if I'm sending them to run, they're better off going out for the track team than learning how to truly pay play baseball. Because reality is that when they get to the next level, there are no more pass balls. There, there, there's a minimal amount of pass balls at the high school level or beyond. So why right. teach them now that they're going to be able to steal, what, to make them feel good, that they're running around the bases? No, that's not reality. So if I have a young individual on the team that is capable of advancing to, from first base to second base, when the catcher catches the ball, then he is allowed to steal. And if the catcher pins you out, then you are out. And you better get on that horse and run as fast as you can because that catcher is going to catch the ball and try to throw you out. And while I'm not going to tease the kids that they're winning a game 
because they stole bases on pass balls because the pitcher is struggling throwing and the catcher is struggling catching. That doesn't make any logical sense. So not everybody gets a trophy, and you must teach people about the reality of what's actually going on, and each one is different, but they all must be treated fairly. That, that's fantastic stuff. I, I really believe in everything you said there. And um, it, it, Well, we can go on all day. That'll be our next podcast on some of the stuff because I do want to get into a couple of things that I want to help some people that are interested um, in possibly being a, a franchise owner. So I have a couple mm-hmm. questions, mm-hmm. and maybe we can kind of rapid fire through some of those things because you can help – some people that are whatever franchise, you know, whether it's with what you guys do or something else. How, how do people, from a financing standpoint, you always see in franchising, you know, uh, you need to have about X amount of capital here or X amount of capital. What, what are the key components for someone looking to start a franchise uh, from a financing standpoint? What are the things that they need to have and what are the things that can be financed through uh, a franchising operation. There are two sectors of franchising, and so let's let's put this out on the table first. Franchising doesn't like to always talk about this, but they do. Um, I, I'm a I'm a major proponent of the International Franchise Association, the IFA, who is the you know the 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 governing lobbying body of um, the franchise you know the franchise throughout the country. An amazing association. Uh, I'm not sure if they talk about this much, but. There are two sides to franchising. One is an investment. So you can be an investor in a franchise, and you can look at it as a pure investment opportunity. What do I want to do with my money? Is it better for me to put it in a money market fund or to invest in a, in a publicly traded company? Or is it better for me to put my money into this organization where I'm going to make a higher return over, and, and I'm going to match it up to some other things I have going on, on in my portfolio? That's one side of it. And that's for a select group of individuals. You all listening, you know who you are. There's the other side of franchising of buying yourself a job. Now, some people in franchising say that's a no-no. I say, well, everybody's different. You can buy yourself a job as long as you're going to work very hard at that job. And that might be something that you're very passionate about. So if you're very passionate about printing or if you're very passionate about um, – you know, helping people better their business, then one of the printing franchises may be very interesting for you. You can have your you can have your local shop. You put an X amount of dollars into the business, and you bought yourself a job. And different franchises look at different look at look at it differently, all depending upon where that franchise is. There's different levels of when a franchise is building when they're growing, and when they're sustaining. So a franchise first, when it's new, they must first start selling franchises. So a lot of times they're going to they're sell to his, anybody they can convince to buy their franchise. Because number one, they need funding. And number two, they need, they need the branding to get out there locally. So they need people who are going to buy the franchise. So if you find a franchising opportunity that's in that stage – your financials are going to be looked at a little bit differently than a franchise that has 100-some-odd franchises. Okay, so if you're somebody with a 
average financial portfolio. And you've done, you know, you've saved some good money for yourself and uh, you work very hard, but you, you don't have, you don't have $500,000 sitting there that's liquid. That's, you know, that's not heard of much. So you don't have that kind of money. Let's say you have, you have 15, 20, $30,000 liquid sitting there in your accounts. You can find a franchise that needs you as a franchisee, especially in the market that you may have. And they may look to see that, okay, he has enough money to buy the franchise. And they may not have you know, all kinds of money in the bank, but they're going to work very hard this franchise, and their, their risk-reward is pretty strong. So that's, that's one avenue, and you can find franchises that will accept you into their franchise, even though you, you, know, you may not think that your financial portfolio looks amazing. But that's the wonderful thing about franchising is that it provides for everybody. You know, franchising is the number one model or business that minorities and women begin their first personal business. It's the number one avenue because it gives them the ability for someone that hasn't had a long history of, 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 of uh, a lot of money in their family or something like that. It gives somebody an opportunity to say, I have a couple dollars, not a lot, but let me find the right franchise that wants me and needs me also. So, touched enough on that. You have that model. There's the other model of, of when a franchise gets sort of halfway there. They've got uh, 75, 80 franchisees. They are now what's called royalty sufficient, meaning their royalties are covering all of their expenses to run the franchise. And now they're making profit based upon their reoccurring royalties. At that state, franchises are a little more uh, tight-roped when it comes to the selection process. So now when a franchise gets to be about 100, so now you're going to start selecting franchisees that are maybe investors because they're going to start pumping a bunch of money into it or buy multiple locations at one time, and they're most likely going to be hands-off owners. So when you have a hands-off owner, you're going to look for somebody that's a lot stronger financially because they are not going to be working in the business. There's that model also, that you're going to hire a general manager, you're going to hire some other people, and they're going to run your investment for you. Because it's simply that, a financial investment. So there's two sides of the street when it comes to franchising. There's purchasing a job, and then there's, and there's, there's investing your money wisely. That's incredibly interesting. I, I think the idea of um, where the person's situation is, whether it's really going to be a, a growth investment for you or, or buying yourself a job, is, is so interesting. Um, and, and finding that and what franchises are actually looking for depends on what type of franchise they are. Um, as far as learning about a franchise, so someone wants to go and investigate franchises, doesn't know where to start, maybe they're not even sure what they're exactly passionate about, where would you recommend uh, they start that process? Well, first of all, there's, there's a couple areas to, 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 to discuss there. There are, like any industry, there is a, there is a sub-level industry of franchising. There's franchising magazines, just go online, there's franchising times, 
there's this, there's that, there's the rating system of the top 100 or top 500 franchises in the country uh, or in the world. You can use those as reference points. Obviously, it's like anything else. It's a marketing business. So, you know, it's someone's opinion of, you know, what the top franchise is in the country. You know, you have to investigate that yourself. But at least gives you the opportunity to know what is out there. It'll probably shock you, first of all, some of the companies you may visit, you did not even realize it's a franchise, and you, you're buying from that company on a regular basis, and you thought it was just someone locally. Um, but it is a franchise, and that might shock you sometimes. So begin looking through those sub-level um, franchise periodicals. That'll give you a taste of what's out there, and you'll be shocked that there are th- thousands of franchise opportunities that are there. Once you start doing that, you start reading and learning a little more about each and each one. You have to determine if the franchise itself is actually selling in your state. Are they selling in your state? Are they licensed to sell in your state? So now once you've maybe narrowed that down to, let's say, 10 different types of franchising opportunities that are licensed and capable of selling in your state, they fit your budget, you know, realize that, you know, 99.9% of us are not buying McDonald's and we're not buying Dunkin' Donuts. So be honest with yourself. And, yes, it's, you, we all see the amount of people that walk into Dunkin' Donuts, but realize that there's a reason why you see so many families owning Dunkin' Donuts because they're so gosh darn expensive and you have to buy X amount of them or commit to an X amount of them before they'll let you even in the door. Whole different franchising situation. So look at something that you know fits your budget. Once you've narrowed that down, now the second level of a resource is there are brokers out there. They're called franchise brokers. Once again, buyer beware, that's a business. Like anything else, they are out there working their business. They're selling. They're trying to sell a franchise. They do a great job, wonderful people, wonderful organizations, but again, somebody's looking to sell. But they're great resources. So now you've narrowed down to about 10 franchises that fit your budget, that are licensed in your state, something you're interested in. Now call the broker. Have the broker tell you a little bit more about the franchise itself. Let them sell you a little bit. Figure out what's good, what's not good, because they might, they, they might know the inside scoop of that franchise to know that, listen, the management's kind of up in the air. They really don't know what they're doing. The other franchisees aren't really happy right now, you know, to, you know, and that'll drift you away. Once you then start doing that, so now let's say the broker helped you narrow down to five. Go visit them. Find one of those franchises in your area. If they're not in your area, take the little investment, jump on an airplane, take a train, ride your bike drive the car, and go visit it. And if you can possibly go visit it and find the owner, talk to them. Say, hey, listen, I'm from um, Ohio, and I drove all the way out here to, uh, to Indiana because you're the only franchisee in the area, and I'm really interested. What do you think? How's it been? Because what the next step is is that if you are interested, you're then going to you know, show your interest to the franchisor. The franchisor is going to look you over quickly and determine whether or not you're even close to being accepted by them. If you are, they're then going to disclose you, which is called the FDD, the Franchise Disclosure Document. And that's, that's mandated, legally mandated, and they disclose basic information to you about the franchise. But it's just a disclosure. It's basic information. It's not going to tell you 
what the margins are, how much money places are making, how they're doing, are they broke, are they making money at all, how has it been, what kind of investment. You're going to have to do that on your own, but that's fun. So go to the place in Indiana, talk to the owner, and ask them, hey, how has it been? Were they helpful? Would you do this again? Are you making some money? Are you feeding your family? Are you enjoying yourself? How has the public responded to it? These are all great questions to start asking some of these franchisees who will be more, most of the time, especially if you're choosing a smaller one, they'll be more than willing to talk to you about it. Because first of all, they're either super happy about it and they're excited about their business, or second, they're so miserable that they can't wait to lash out and tell you all about how bad it is. <laughs> then you go. Then you got it. What are the um, biggest, you know, couple of biggest mistakes that uh, you found that franchise owners have made, uh, either in choosing a, bit, a business, uh, a franchising business, or developing their own? I think realizing or not realizing that it's a business versus they're just infatuated with the brand. But no. You're, you are running a business. This is not just about the brand and that you think the brand is so wonderful and so fun and so interesting and you just love being a part of it. You are running a business. And that's number one. The second is they, franchisees assume that the franchisor is going to do everything for them. If that's what you want, don't even bother. Because a franchisor, and listen, these are two different business models. And I love franchising across the board. I love franchisee. I love franchisors. I think both of them are fascinating. And I look forward maybe one day be a, being a franchisor. I've already, you know, I've already looked into that, and, and uh, it's something that I would like to accomplish one day, possibly. But a franchisor, your job is to sell franchises. That's your job. That's what you get into. Once you cross that threshold, when you open a, a deli and you decide to franchise it, you now go from a deli owner to a franchise seller. So you have to realize as a franchisee that that franchisor's job is to sell franchises, not to help you with every single little thing in your business. That's just not their job. Some may, or they may have a massive staff that they're going to you know, use to, to assist you, but that's not their job. Your job is to learn how to run the business. Their job is to sell franchises and create a better brand and better systems that help you run that organization. And then you have to uphold the franchisor to do the same. I'll run my business to the very best of my ability, make sure that you are building this brand with other good businesses, other good franchise partners, and that you are continuously developing better models so that I can make more money and service my clients better. So the mistake that some franchisees make coming in is that, okay, I'm going to buy this franchise, and then I'm just going to ask the franchisor, and they're going to tell me everything I need to do, and they're going to give me my book, I'm going to follow everything that they tell me to do, and everything's going to be okay. No. Don't kid yourself. This is your business, and you have to take it seriously that way, and it is being an entrepreneur. You have to be creative. You have to know where to be. You have to be able to network. You have to be able to hire employees. You have to be able to uphold the brand. You have to want to work all the time. 
those are areas that some individuals get mixed up on because they see some of the bigger franchise brands. If you have a, if you have five hundred thousand, a million dollars, two million dollars to that's liquid that you can invest in a franchise, then you can invest your money and not do anything and watch your investment. But that's not the majority of us. You have to work the business each and every day, just like you have your own mom and pop and your own personal brand. Tell me about what makes you so heavily invested in college homes, hall, and junk, and what you've been able to do to create great success within that model. Well, I came into the College Hunts brand, and when I finished this, this, this is going to shock you, but I think this is, this is great for the program, and it, um, it, it, this, I think it's wonderful. So it's great timing. I came into College Hunks because in my mind, I saw a niche in not a market, but a culture. And I was sitting in Starbucks. And I looked up, and when I was talking to one of the baristas at Starbucks, and they were telling me about how they, you know, are, you know, have their master's degree, and they're working in Starbucks. My quick human thought said, what the heck are you doing? Then when I sat down, I looked around, and I said, no, this is what they want to do. They're enjoying themselves. They're proud of the fact that they're working here at Starbucks. It was a it was an aha moment for me, and I looked. And I said, "How this is what how it, this is what Schultz created? He created a culture of amazing people who want to be a part of Starbucks. And when they built the brand, they built it in a way that can support these types of people. That's why they do some of the things that they do. So as I was seeing that, and I saw that wait a minute, they're college grads, um, post grads." and brilliant people working here. So I looked at that type of person, and I, and, and I analyzed the type of person that works in Starbucks. It's a, it's a particular type of person. They're very similar personality traits. If you take the time to look at staff members of, of, of Starbucks, they're very, they're, there's a certain dynamic to their personalities. And, and, and at the end of the day, there, there, there are a couple, we won't get into it, but there are a couple common personality factors of individuals who are working at Starbucks. I also looked at it when it comes to Whole Foods, the same thing. There are some very specific personality traits of people who work at Whole Foods. And if you go and look, it might culturally shock the living daylights out of you when you look at certain Whole Foods and what type of people are working there. And you might have this quick human bias. But then when you look deeper, you realize, oh, my goodness gracious, the personalities here are incredible. So I'm looking at this dynamic at Starbucks, and I start – I had just moved, and I had a terrible moving experience. And I just thought that these people that were in this moving business are just – why am I allowing these people to come into my home? And then I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to work at a desk job. I said, well, there's got to be other guys like me who don't want to work at a desk job, who, who, you know, who respect but don't have any interest of, of working in a, in a financial institution or a Wall Street or anything like that. I want nothing to do with that in that, in that, in that mindset. And I said, there's got to be other guys like me with this. 
who like using their hands and who like getting dirty and, you know, who want to make a career and want to be able to make some good money. So once I saw the Starbucks, I realized, wait a minute, what if I can do this in, you know, in a different type of industry, more of, a, of an industry that needs a wake-up call? And I looked at waste hauling, and then I started thinking about moving. I looked at two age-old industries, and I always, I always like to do this, and I think about what would the Chinese do? The Chinese don't make anything new. They just take what we've already done and make it better. So I looked at it and said, okay, don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, we're always thinking, what new idea can I come up with? That's wonderful. If you can think of a new idea, great. But why about take about an idea that we've been doing for a while and make it better? So I started thinking about waste hauling and moving. I knew waste hauling was, you know, back in the late 1800s, early 90s, in the city sanitation department. That was like the job to have. Your great-grandfather, your grandfather was a New York sanitation worker. They wore all white. They wore white gloves. They came home proud. They walked through that door. Their wife gave them a kiss. They were on top of the world. I worked for New York City sanitation. And the same thing was in moving. It was a proud job to have. And things changed over the years. So I looked at both of those, and I said, well, what if we take educated, college-educated guys, and get involved in this industry. And I was sitting there watching TV, and I saw an episode of Millionaire Matchmaker. And when I saw the episode, I thought, brilliant. I saw it. So I picked up the phone. I called. The president of the organization called me back the next day. We talked. One thing led to another. And I got involved in college hunks. Now, I got involved in college hunks when they were very young. As, people, as founders and when the company was young. And so my personality was able to help out with the development and the growth of the overall brand. So we started out as just, just junk calling. So when I bought the franchise, it was just junk calling. I foresaw the future, and I said, this is going to be very interesting, and people are going to want this. So when I bought it, I, I started out in New Jersey. I bought basically all of New Jersey because I knew, well, wait a minute. I've got a couple dollars in my pocket, but I'm right next to New York City. When this thing explodes, I won't already own everything because there are going to be some hotshot New York guys and gals who have a lot more money who are going to come by and want to, want to buy all this, and I'm going to be sitting there with my one little territory and say, gosh darn it, I missed out on a big opportunity. So I invested a lot more than the, than the normal College Hunks franchise had at that point in time. And I was able to help build the brand. Then came moving, and we started doing, I started doing moving in my New Jersey location. And that was back to my thoughts sitting there at Starbucks. And I said, how can I turn this into moving? We started doing moving, and when you're in a young franchise like that, you can be creative. I was creative. I was a little bolder than the I just started doing moving. Then after I started doing moving for a few months, I then told the franchisor that I was doing a little bit backwards. I don't recommend it to everybody, but I'm of my personality, and that's what I did. And then uh, it became a great idea, and now the company does primarily moving. So I saw this opportunity that I already had already believed in beyond the brand. So my passion was beyond the brand of College Hunks. So when I found College Hunks, it just, it just came through with my passion that I thought that there was a, that, that there was a hole in the market that could be filled. So I continued to grow College Hunks and expand it to different locations and found a niche into buying locations that had been failing based upon a numerous circumstances. 
So I was able to buy other locations that were already up and going that were failing. Did that for a while and built it up. But always knowing that there was an exit strategy. And I now executed my exit strategy. Oh, that's amazing. I have, I, I, I have now sold my locations. And it's almost complete. And I will be moving on to the next venture. But what I wanted to do was that I wanted to create these locations and, and be honest with myself and knowing my personality that, you know, I got these locations to a certain point. I could get them further and continue it. But now it's set up for somebody else to dig in, to dig in, follow the protocol, because now College Hunks is at a whole different level than when I started. When I started, they had nobody there. You were on your own, and it worked for me. I was able to build my business on my own. I didn't need them. I just needed the brand and help me out with a couple little things. Other than that, you know, if you don't have it, I'll just create it. No problem. Not worried about it. Well, now they have everything that you need. So now I'm able to hand this over to another group in a different location for them to now follow the protocol of College Hunts for where it is now as a great company and now set them up. Set them up for another level of greatness. Set the, set the employees up for another level of greatness. And now it's time for me to move on and take the learning experiences that I have here and move on to do something else next. Very, very interesting. First of all, congratulations. That's, uh, or I guess Thanks. almost congratulations. That's, that's um, almost every business owner's dream is to build, build something up, be able to capitalize on it, and, and execute on an exit strategy, which is it's amazing to hear somebody that's actually successful be able to do that. I, I'm, ra- I'm wrapping up. I've been, I've been on with you. I, I have to say you, 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 you're so captivating in, in what you're presenting uh, so you've set the record as our longest podcast. Um, oh, and, uh, <laughs> that's it's fantastic! And I think the information that you've given is um, so valuable. Where can anyone who wants to get in touch with you, maybe present you with business opportunities? Uh, how can they? How can they get in touch with you and reach out to you? You know, Twitter is obviously so easy just to begin that conversation. Uh, really simple, at Stephen Bianco, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-I-E-N-K-O. So any social media, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, same, same, um, same handle, um, at Stephen Bianco. I keep that pretty, pretty simple. And my email is the same thing, first, last name at Gmail, pretty simple. Uh, those are the easiest ways. Um, I love it. If you have a thought, if you have an idea out there, shoot it past me. Let me soak on it for a couple seconds and, and throw it back at you. Make, let me maybe make you think a different way about it that you haven't thought about real quick. Um, you, you know, if anybody's interested in new endeavors, I'm open. I'm selling. I'm open. Uh, I'm looking for that next challenge. I'm looking for that next opportunity uh, at a couple different levels. Um, be honest about. I think I, I, I think I want to get back into the you know in, into the sports into the education uh, realm. Not sure yet, but I, I really think that might possibly uh, be the direction. Or, or or who knows? Continue to help some businesses grow. But um, you know, it's very easy. Please uh, send me a tweet. Send me an Instagram post. Uh, look me up on LinkedIn. 
Um, I love responding to questions, to challenges, um, to getting to know people. Um, I found it, I find it fascinating, and uh, every single day is a learning experience. Stephen, I can't thank you enough for for coming on. Um, I think the information, you know, quick summary of all that stuff, you know, being able to talk about, you know, what you look for in employees, how to profile them. I think is critical uh, what you talked about in franchising and how and how to really build your business um, and, and some do's and don'ts which are fantastic. So I, I could be on for four hours with you uh, and and we'll definitely get another podcast going once you, I want to get you on once you sell. So maybe we could talk about those learning experiences for people that uh, have to sell a business. I think that'll be real valuable. But I really want to thank you for coming on and I wish you the very very best. My pleasure, David. I've always appreciated our long, long friendship here and uh, knowing you and uh, much continued success in what you've done. I know you're very humble about it, but you have uh, you've always inspired me about what you've been able to create from the ground up. So uh, keep doing that. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, and I, I hope I got a couple golden nuggets out to your listeners. Thanks for having me, David. No problem. Thank you so much, and we'll, we'll, we'll be connecting very soon. You got it, buddy. Take care. Take care. That was Stephen Bianco. If you were lucky enough to listen to that podcast, the information on there is second to none. I mean, from talking about franchising, which you really touched on in the last 20, 25 minutes, to the discussion about uh, who to hire, how to hire them, figuring out you know, how long that person is going to be there or not be there, and understanding that psychological profile and interviewing the right way to get the information to hiring the right people. Uh, you probably heard it before, uh, hiring slow and firing fast, but there's some depth to that in this conversation, which I think is critical. Um, and I think understanding how to treat people fairly, but not everybody's treated equally. And we really discussed those things in depth. You get a great feel for, for Stephen's background and where he comes from. Uh, educationally and, and how he's able to leverage a lot of the things he learned. And interestingly enough, his father was a business owner himself. That was something I did not know. Um, and we got to be able to find that out and, and learn from that. So until next time on the Success for Life podcast, you can see us on iTunes, on our Success for Life podcast, as well on their NUC media, both on iTunes. You can get each of these podcasts either way. Uh, stay with us. Um, hit me up at NUC Football on Twitter. You can hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, on Instagram, or if you want to email me directly, Dave at NUCSports.com. I'm always glad to answer questions about business, uh, and uh, hopefully soon I'm putting all these things together, learning as much as we can, and maybe one day we'll even put together a book on all this kind of stuff. So thanks again for being on Success for Life podcast. Until next time.